A college party ends with a woman being assaulted by a popular student while others watch. No one believes her but her best friend Cassie, who will make sure that the justice is finally served and that people who never listened finally do. I was busy thinking about boys. Say it. Boys. Louder. I was busy thinking about boys. Whoa! Boys. And also why every hairdresser ever was right. Because fringe, it ain't for me. It ain't for me. I highly suggest you watch this one on YouTube. Join me for my birthday. Because every year I celebrate my unhinged self by putting a wig on and like a whole ass costume of a nurse this year, apparently, and telling you a fictional story. Well, last year we were talking about Britney, so not really fictional, Maya, but yeah, that was a weak choice of its own. Would highly recommend you watch it because conservatorship, educate yourselves. This year I'm dropping you right into a club. Oh yeah, we're talking about promising young woman. If that didn't make it explicit enough because I look like Carrie Mulligan from Wish, so saws about that, you know, nobody, not everybody has a face to pull that costume off, and also this wig is moving around, it's driving me insane, it's like a whale on a bride, if whale was in this color, God. okay, uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> I moved the fringe to the side, now I look like the lady that sells ice cream from a van on Halloween. You would buy ice cream from me, right? Doesn't matter. Sure, sure, whatever you say, Maya. Clearly unhinged playing an unhinged character today. So, without further ado, I'm dropping you right into the plot of Promising Young Woman. We're in a club, as I said, mm -hmm, we're in a club, and our main character, Cassie, she's wasted. Our girl here is wasted. She clearly needs help. She's stumbling, still sort of drinking shots. You're like, why is the barman not intervening? Why is he not saying, girl, stop? Like, who is gonna bring you home? She's by herself, no boyfriend, no friends in sight. And she finally stumbles onto this couch and seems to be looking through her bag, searching for something. And then, on the other side of this club, we have a bunch of men. They're all like, mm, suit and tie, seems like they came from work. But the bar is empty, it's really a sad vision, you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, is it closing time, or is it like just a regular Wednesday? What the hell is going on? But these bunch of men are just bitching about women. They're bitching about their colleagues at work, like, oh my god, glass ceiling and everything, but women can't even bring a guy to a strip club. You can't even bring a client to a strip club. Like, oh, that is insane. And then one of them is looking at Cassie over here. He's like, oh, I mean, you know, it seems like an easy catch. Like, Guys, leave it to me. And as he's about to go chat her up, all of his friends are hyping him up, like, you go, big fella, yeah, that's an easy score, that's right, don't ever stop your friends when they're going to chat up a girl that is blackout drunk. No, why would you? Why would you not condone something that might result in sexual assault? Already heated, already heated. Okay, so he approaches her and then asks her what she's looking for in that bag. And she says she's looking for her phone. It seems like it fell out somewhere, maybe somebody has stolen it once, you know, the night has still been popping. And he's like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, how are you going to get home, though? Like, are any of your friends coming to pick you up? Maybe a boyfriend? And she says, I mean, 
I'm just gonna look for one of those ride apps. Like, I'm just gonna go on Uber, search for a cab. It's gonna come in a couple of seconds. And he's just looking at her like, girl, girl, you wasted. Like, you don't have a phone. How are you gonna go on Uber when you don't even have a phone? So he says, instead of offering her his phone and ordering Uber for her like a normal person would, he's like, you know what, let me just take you home. Like, just go into the same cab, like, you give them the address and I'll pay for it. It's on me. Next, we see the two of them in a cab. She is wasted. You know how dogs usually, when you open the window, put their head outside? That's her, literally just, like, gasping for air, trying to sober up. Meanwhile, the guy is like, oh my god, I hate when this happens, but <laughs> it just seems like this isn't the first time that this happened. My address, my flat, it's just literally around the corner. It's like on the way to you. So even without waiting for her answer, he tells the cab driver, like, just bring us to this address. And this driver asks him to put the address into the app. What I love about this movie is that when you really think about it on the next level, it shows you how many chances there are for somebody to stop themselves before actually going forward with what is going to happen. So he tells her, like, let me just go to my flat for another drink. Like, read the roommate. She's clearly wasted. Why would she want another drink when she's desperately trying to sober up here? This cab driver, another person who could have read the room and stopped this, no. He just sees that he input the correct address into the app now, and he drives them to his. So here we can only assume that he carried Cassie upstairs because she She's, like, still stumbling, can't walk. And once they're upstairs, he sits her on a couch and just hands her a drink. And she finds it disgusting. Like, she's wasted at this point. The only drink she should be drinking is water and be put to sleep. And as they're chatting, he's apologizing for his roommates. Like, they're assholes. Look at the disarray that they left this flat in. But, I mean, I'm here by myself this weekend. Oh, what is that, Cassie? Oh, Cassie, you have a smudge. It seems like you have smudged your lipstick on your face. And then he does that creepy thing that is heavily mocked on TikTok, which I love, when a guy does the dead face and then leans in for a kiss. God! God! There is no worse ick, whatever you want to call it. Don't do it. Just lean in for a kiss like a normal person. So he doesn't. And he's like kissing her, but she isn't kissing him back. It's really, really weird and awkward to watch. And it's like, how? How are you enjoying this? How are you proceeding with a kiss when a woman isn't kissing you back? After what was too long of this involuntary kiss, Cassie gets up. And she's tired. She's, like, stumbling around. We sort of get a feeling like she just wants to sleep it off. So she eventually falls on top of his bed, kind of, like, spread like an eagle. She just falls on top of his bed and starts dozing off. But this is not where he stops. He jumps right on top of her and starts kissing her. Even though she isn't responding, she's clearly almost asleep. He starts kissing her neck, opening her blouse, then going down, taking her panties off and just kissing her thighs. And it's just really weird and disgusting and you know where this is going. And Cassie is just there sort of through her drunkenness asking him, what are you doing? Like, wh what is going on? 
what are you doing? And then we see the camera focused right on her face, as if he holds it, as if he is the one shooting her from in between her legs. And she says in a completely sober voice, I said, what are you doing? We are left in the dark as to what actually happened in that flat, because next, Weather Girls, It's Raining Man remix is playing the soundtrack of this, find it on Spotify, do yourself a favor, it is the best soundtrack of any movie out there. We see Cassie walking, we assume it's an early morning, we think like, okay, this guy probably did not end up alive. She's just walking down the street, eating this hot dog. You're kind of thinking like, who the hell even sells hot dogs at like five in the morning? And these scaffolders, these men that work early in the morning like that, are just staring at her. So she stops and stares right back, just as It's Raining Man is playing. God bless Mother Nature, she rearranged the sky. Which line of that song do you mostly identify with? For me, it was always God bless Mother Nature, she's a single woman too. I was like, yeah, Mother Nature understands. It's the equivalent for me of God is a woman. Sort of like same level. I'm like, yeah, if Mother Nature is single, she understands. This is the reason, this is her motive behind her making it rain man. Okay, cool. So she's just staring, doing the stare off back, and they're like, uh, what are you staring at? Why are you being a creep? It's just a precedent for everything that's happening. She's like, okay, so what? I can't be a creep, but you can. You can just like watch me eat my hot dog at like five in the morning. Yeah? But you, you can't, right? What is this double standards bullshit that I still have an hour and a half of going through with? She finishes her hot dog and we see her in her room. In her room, she's opening this little notebook. It seems like a diary until you actually see her crossing off like another tally. Now, she's just like doing those fancies. It's like, okay, four lines and then cross five. And you're like, oh, okay, this is some serial killer bullshit. But then you notice that she has two different pens. So that tally is spread between red and blue. And you're like, okay, so red, does red mean blood? Is this a blue one? What the hell is going on? What do these different colors mean? And she shuts that notebook and goes downstairs where her parents have made breakfast. Here we realize she still lives with her parents and they were quite worried where she was last night. Why didn't she come home? And she tells them, oh, you know what, I just had to do an inventory at the cafe. And they're like, really? Like, overnight? Bitch, like, your cafe closes at five. So she says she just stayed longer. You know, it happens every now and then, apparently more often, and they should be used to something like this. So they tell her, okay, can you, like, speak to your manager? Because this really shouldn't be happening. Like, oh, you should be getting paid a lot more for the overtime you're staying working at this cafe. Then the next scene is her actually chatting with her manager, who is Laverne Cox on this scene. The casting in this movie can be a bit questionable at times. I will point it out where I wasn't buying it, but Laverne Cox owned this role. Mm. Laverne and Carrie chemistry, I was like, how did this not happen before? Laverne is just chatting her up, suggesting a promotion, like maybe a transfer to a different department so that she can have an increase in salary. And it seems like Cassie doesn't really care for that, you know, she doesn't really care much for progression or for money that she's making. She's happy where she is. She's kind of just like joking, like, do you want to get rid of me? Like, what seems to be the problem? And Laverne says, no, but like, 
I want you to have a stable job in the office. By the way, <laughs> awkward question, but a friend of mine, yeah, you know, Monique, yeah, she actually saw you leaving the club the other night and seemed like you were hammered. Like, are you okay? You doing fine? And she says, yeah, I mean, I was definitely at home. That must have been somebody else. But then the next scene, we see her rocking another outfit in another club. Every single fit in this movie was to die for. So here she has like little pigtails and she's again hammered or she's still pretending to be hammered. And we kind of notice that this is a pattern. The guy's asking, you know, how old are you? Oh my god, cute pigtails. And she says, old enough. And then we cut to her writing yet another name in her little notebook, adding yet another tally in one of the colors. The next day we cut to her in a cafe, just like doing some inventory, and she's chatting with her manager Laverne again, when this guy walks in. The guy being Bo Burnham. This is where I struggle with casting, okay? With Bo Burnham and yet another character, I wasn't buying it. Also, I forgot what his name is, so we're just gonna call him Bo. Okay, so he just walks in and he's like, yeah, can I have a latte or whatever, like the coffee of his his choice, and then he double takes on her face and is like, you look familiar, Cassie. And she's like, Bo, Bo motherfucking Burnham, yeah, oh, yeah, what are you doing here? And he's like, no, what are you doing here? We went to med school together. What are you doing working in a cafe? And she's like, oh, so that is the question, like, what am I doing after med school? After I dropped out working and just like a shitty cafe. And he's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, how do I, how do I come back from this? Like, listen, I'm just gonna go out, come back in. We are gonna forget anything happened. Just gonna make my order again. This never happened. She's like, it's, it's fine. Do you want milk in your coffee? And he says, no, listen, no, I don't need milk. Just, I deserve it. Just spit into my coffee. Take a nice deep gulp and spit into it. I mean, I definitely deserve it. We see it on screen, which is the first time I have seen this in like the whole cinematographic history. Although I do watch series mainly and not really movies. She actually takes that big gulp and we see her spit, physically spit into his coffee and then just hands it over to him. So he just drinks it, it's like... And you'd think, like, he won't take a gulp. He takes one big gulp of her spit. Oh, yeah, they're making the eyes connect. Yeah, it's all, like, a bit psycho. And he asks her, do you want to go out with me? And then we cut to the next scene. She's getting ready. She's putting the makeup on. She's watching the tutorial for blowjob lips as she applies her lipstick. And we are like, okay, finally, she's gonna go on a date with this Bo Burnham guy that apparently is attracted by her spit even, but that's not really what happens. Just as she does such hard work, you know, working all the lip liner, applying that lipstick to make the blowjob lips really pop, she smudges that lipstick all over her cheek and then just walks up and leaves. And you're like, what the fuck, you live with your parents? How do they not see you the way you leave the house? Like, how do they not wonder? Why do these parents not even care? Anyways, here we don't get the bird's eye into the club. We are immediately at this guy's flat. 
and this guy is chatting about the book that he is writing. He's a writer and he is writing a novel. And the novel, super interesting, hear me out. The novel that he is writing is about what it's like to be a guy in the world. And it focuses on a guy over the span of the night in New York. Wow, yeah, groundbreaking, I know. So, you have to think that you, you gotta be drunk to even just survive this boring-ass chat. And he's in one of those, like, sweaters that, like, a grandma would knit you and you kind of wouldn't really wear on a date. But sure, sure. So, anyways, he's chatting her up and she is, again, wasted. Just sitting on this couch being like, great great idea. This is when he offers her coke and she's like, nah, listen, I'm already like gone, like, I don't want to take like some coke as well. But he's like, don't be a party pooper, like, let me just, you know, give you this line of coke, just like snort it up your nose. And she clearly can't like even comprehend. She's just like moving away. So he takes a bit of coke and puts his finger inside of her mouth and like wipes that coke all over her teeth as if he's using a teeth whitening kit. And then after that, he sits next to her. He's like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Like takes her hair from her sides. Why do you even put the makeup on? The makeup was made in order to oppress women. He sounds like a pick-me guy. Guys don't actually want makeup. I see you. I see the real you. And she's just like, uh-huh, cool, thumbs up. Um, I don't really feel that well. I feel like I'm gonna vomit. Do you maybe, can I have like a glass of water? As he goes away, presumably, to actually get a glass of water, he just slumps over the couch and pretends like she's falling asleep. So he comes back and he's pissed. He's immediately pissed by the fact that she's even asleep. So he, like, nudges her away, like, you know, real, real sharp, real hard. Like, here's your water. Like, take the goddamn water. Just, like, sober up. What can I do with you right now? As she's drinking that glass of water, he says, good girl. Immediately no. Immediately no. So, once she finishes, takes a couple of sips, she says she wants to go home. Like, can he call a cab? And he's like, oh my god, no, but we have such a connection. Like, I almost didn't actually even go out tonight on this date. And like, what a missed opportunity that would have been. Call you a cab, go home. No, you don't want to go home. He sits back next to her and starts just like kissing and blowing into her ear. And you're like, okay, nerd alert, stop that, stop it right now. So she's still repeating in her drunken voice, Neil, I need to go home. Meanwhile, he's still blowing into her ear, like into her actual ear hole. He's blowing into it. Like, are you trying to test if her hearing is okay? Because it seems like the problem is with you, because you don't seem to be hearing it, Neil. So, in a completely sober voice, Cassie says, Neil, I said I need to go home. And he jumps up from the couch. He's like, I thought you were drunk. And she's like, oh, so you thought I was drunk. But I'm not, Neil. So that's a good thing, right? Holy shit, are you a psycho? Are you one of those serial killers that comes to guys' places, like, pretending you're drunk? I, I think you should leave. Oh, you think I should leave? But a second ago, like, you were determined for me to stay. You really wanted me to stay. You even woke me up so that I'm apparently conscious before 
you do anything. Look, look, I'm a nice guy. I thought we had a connection. I thought there was something here. Oh, you thought we had a connection. Okay, Neil, um, what do I do for a living? Where do I live? Where did I study? No, 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 let's make it real simple, Neon. What is my name? And he's like, listen, I understand, I'm an asshole. Lisa, I I'm a nice guy, I'm a nice guy. Just don't do anything, don't kill me, you psycho. You tried to have sex with me when I was passed out, but you woke me up before putting your fingers inside of me. That was sweet. And he keeps repeating, I'm a nice guy. You're not as rare as you think you are, Neil. You know how I know? Because every single week I go to a club and I act like I'm too drunk to stand and every single week, without an exception, a nice guy like you comes over to check if I'm okay. You still want to fuck me? No, didn't think so, because no one ever does. Careful next time, Neil. Be careful next time. And she just grabs her bag and leaves his flat. And we see her back in her room, drawing a blue line this time on her telly and putting his name into it. And just as she closes her little notebook, she says goodnight, Nina, to a picture of younger her and this girl, Nina, which is, we presume, her friend, from med school. Oh, did it just fall off? Great, okay. Intervention time. <laughs> Anyways, she goes to sleep and the next morning she wakes up, goes downstairs to eat breakfast and her parents have gotten her a present. She seems quite surprised by it. Her mom, by the way, is played by Jennifer Coolidge. Great casting choice. Epic. So her mom just hands her over the present and says, happy birthday. And she's like, oh, yeah my 30th birthday and her mom loses it like what do you mean your 30th birthday who the hell forgets their birthday who forgets their 30th birthday like i'm so worried about you cassie you work at this coffee shop you don't have a boyfriend you don't have any friends like what do i tell my own friends like when they ask about you like you just still live with your parents what do I even tell them? She's like, well, geez, mom, thanks. That's a great happy birthday message. You know, put that in the card, like, for the next time. And then she opens a present and realizes that she got a suitcase as a birthday present. So we see her in a cafe chatting with Laverne, and Laverne is saying, I mean, that is the get the fuck out present if I have ever seen one. They actually got you a freaking suitcase. She says, you know what, Cassie, I might even fire you. You know, just so you wake the hell up. Just so you wake up and find a job that will actually pay you enough so that you can move out of your parents' place. And as she is, like, busting her nuts. That is not an <laughs> So as she's like joking with her, what was busting your nuts all about? Stop it. Bo Burnham walks back in. He's like, um, so you know last time you spit into my coffee and I like it because I like spit because it's my fetish, it's my king. Yeah, you know how you handed me over a phone number? Well, it seems like I have really been thinking this through. I have been composing a nice romantic text message and then I texted this random guy called Elle and, uh, well, he kind of told me <laughs> it seems like a girl that you were prepping this for 
actually might have given you a fake number. So any chance I can get your real number this time? She says to him, like, sure, but listen, I'm not interested in a relationship. So he's like, it's fine. Are you interested in a friendship where we're friends, but I'm pining for you all the time, trying to actually get you to like me? And she's like, oh, God, how do I get rid of this guy? So he says, okay, final offer, have lunch with me. You can leave, you can just get up and leave if you're not feeling it, no questions asked, and I will never walk into this cafe again. Next, we see the two of them at this fast food place, they're joking around, but eventually he comes to the main question, which is why did she actually drop out of med school? And she says she just wanted to do something else, I guess. It's kind of really awkward, and he says you were ahead of everybody, you would have been a great doctor. To which she responds, I guess I just didn't want it enough. The atmosphere dropped a couple of notches here, like it was super awkward, but then it seems like they pulled back from it. He suggests, like, let's go have a coffee before we go to the cinema, and then the next scene is them after the cinema, just walking home, it's sort of nighttime, and he just stops in front of a building, is like, oh my god, what a coincidence, this just happens to be my building, my flat, if you want to come around, and she's just like, no, actually, I am tired, why do you have to be just like every other guy, he's like, oh my god, I totally screwed this up again, didn't I? We don't have to do this. I'll walk you home. She's like, no, it's fine. I'll walk home myself. And we see her walking away, and as she's walking away, she slams into the trash can. She just, like, knocks it all off, because she's pissed. Why does every other guy need to be like, oh, I'm a nice guy. Suddenly, we're in front of my house. No. Read the fucking room. She's unhinged. Read the room. And don't do it. You know, but also don't take it out in the garbage bin. I'm, I was just literally, during that scene, I had to pause and I was like, now the garbage men are going to have to collect this, like, the next day, collect the actual garbage from the ground. Nobody deserves that. They don't get paid enough to do that. And then I had to, like, think that I, this is an actual movie, Maya, this is fictional, but don't do that in real life. Okay, okay. Now you're thinking, okay, so is it time for Bo Burnham yet to grow his hair out and start singing Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos and get millions of listens on Spotify on that song? No, no, keep your horses. It's not the time for that yet. Because he's still a short-haired man and she appears at his waiting room because we realize he's a pediatrician. That is a word, right? I should have probably looked that up. Yeah, yeah. So she's at the pediatrics unit inside of his waiting room and he comes out and he's properly surprised, like, oh my god, what are you doing here? And she says she's looking for her herpes medication. And they again start joking, they have this weird sense of humor, you know, that makes you cringe at times. And she says, listen, let me just give you a chance, but this time we take it slow. So he agrees, like, no problem, I totally understand, I fucked up. Even though, why didn't you appear at the cafe then to chase her back? Why did she have to appear at the pediatrics office? Okay, so the weird sense of humor continues. We meet them in the cafe again, and Laverne is there, and she's asking him, how many children have you killed, Bo Burnham? 
Oh, I mean, I was present in the room when a child had died, but I don't think I actually operated on them. And Cassie is there, like, just stop asking him, like, why are you weird, Laverne? Like, leave. I'm just closing up, doing the end of the day report. And Laverne is like, well, I'll stop asking when he stops killing children. So Laverne leaves, but before she does, she says, okay, if the two of you plan to have sex on this counter at the bleach is in the back room, so good, great, great. Just bye now, don't have sex on the counter, you know, don't go into voyeurism. Kind of think like that is something Bo Burnham would have liked in this movie, because he has weird kinks, okay? She must have spat into his coffee a bit too much. Anyways, as she's leaving, you know, Bo is saying, like, she seems nice. And Cassie says, like, yeah, she's an actual friend. And this brings Bo to segue into asking him, like, oh, speaking of friends, are you friends with anybody from med school? And she's like, no, I'm not really friends with anybody anymore. All of those friendships seems to have fizzled out. Why? Are you friends with any of the guys that we went to med school with? He says, like, I mean, I just can't shake some of them off, like, not really close, but, like, I know, you know, a few bits of gossip of, like, what people are up to. And he just keeps mentioning a couple of names, and she doesn't seem to care until he mentions one of them, Elle Monroe. Elle seems to have come back to town. He apparently lived in London or wherever, but seems to be back, and she's like, Oh, I thought he was gone forever, but he's back. He's like, yeah, you won't believe it, but he actually proposed to this model. It's all, like, social media, Instagram heavy. It was all over that. And, yeah, he's back in town. Her mood has immediately shifted. You're like, okay, whoever El Monroe is, she hates his gut. She hates this guy. We aren't super close, but we are in the same WhatsApp group, and he shared, like, the pictures of the engagement with this model. Oh, my God, you should see the rock on that finger. And she just completely switched off and Bo just keeps talking. Nobody keeps leaving the room in this movie. Next, we see her back in her room. And she checks out the picture of Nina and you see kind of that there is a moment of hesitation, like, should she do it? Should she not? But she opens her laptop and logs onto the Facebook version in the movie, which I think is called Friender, which is like, what the fuck? But then why would you name it Facebook either? Anyways, she opens the Friender website and she keeps looting. She goes onto El Monroe's profile, sees the engagement picture. She isn't friends with any of them, so she can only see what is public comments. And you think, okay, she's going to focus on this El Monroe guy, but instead she focuses on a girl that commented on his engagement picture, this girl Madison. And I suppose she added her as a friend and started messaging with her, arranging to meet up. Now you see Cassie walking into this restaurant where she booked a table for two and she orders champagne for medicine, but for her she orders ginger ale. And even before Madison arrives, she just pours the ginger ale into her glass. I suppose it is the same color. Don't know. Anyways, and then she puts that ginger ale next to her chair. So that once Madison arrives, 
she keeps pouring her drinks. Literally, this woman had drank like two bottles of champagne there while Cassie is just like sipping on her little ginger ale thing. And once Madison loosens up, once they start chatting, they chat about uni, they chat about different people and what everybody's been up to. We learn that Madison has had two kids and oh my gosh, she hasn't been day drunk in forever. This is so great, catching up with you, Cassie. So fake, shouldn't have happened. But it did, and it happened for a reason. Cassie says, Madison, I want to talk to you about the reasons of why I dropped out. And Madison is there, the face that this bitch made is the same face that I make when I try to pretend like I don't want to hear the gossip. Like, okay, oh, sure, never would have guessed. So that is the reason, okay, okay. Tell me everything about it, bitch. Cassie asks her, do you remember what happened? And Madison is like, I mean, it was such a long time ago, so you never even think about it. If a friend came to you, Madison, saying something happened to them, would you just roll your eyes and dismiss it all as drama? I mean, Cassie, I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. If you have a bit of a reputation for sleeping around, sometimes people just won't believe that this happened. So you think I was crying wolf? I don't know, just don't get blackout drunk and then expect people to be on your side when you have sex with somebody that you say you didn't want to have sex with. And Cassie just gets up and says, I mean, I was really hoping that you will feel differently by now. And you see her sort of going towards the exit of the restaurant. But before she does, she stops by this guy who is just sitting at the bar. She says she's over there, room 25, and the money is in the envelope that she hands him over. So the next day, we see Cassie listening to multiple voicemails from Madison. With each and every voicemail, Madison seems to be getting increasingly upset. So in one of them, she's like, hey, Cassie, can you just call me back? Then, Cassie, did you see me talking to a guy yesterday? I seem to have just been blackout drunk. I don't really remember what happened. Can you call me back to help me to put pieces back together? Cassie, it's actually really urgent. Can you please call me back? Do you remember me walking into a hotel room with a guy? I woke up on a bed in a random hotel room next to somebody. Cassie, I just really need you to call me back. Now, we don't immediately know if Cassie called Madison back because we see her in a car pulling the best look of this movie and the most effortless one, okay? I mean, this one is iconic for specific reasons because it's associated to a specific scene, but the one that was in the car, undoubtedly a lot more easier to pull off and the one that I should have opted in for. But no, that's not how life works, is it? So she's in a car pulling up next to this school, you're kind of like thinking like, is it a school? Is it Windsor Castle? Is it one of those Catholic schools? What is this establishment? But we see two young bitches just walking by on their phones and then one says goodbye to the other and keeps walking away. And Cassie seems to have a target on this particular girl. She pulls up, pulls that window down and says, sorry, 
excuse me, I am actually going to this bar called the castle and my phone just died so you know I can't really use the GPS. Is there any chance you can tell me how do I go there from here? And this girl starts explaining it to Cassie and you see Cassie getting more and more angry like I will never make it in time, this is the dream job that I have just gotten as a makeup artist for Wet Dreams. And the girl is like, did you, did you say Wet Dreams? As in the band that's on my phone case? As in the band that's like on my shirt? As in the band that's like on all of the walls inside of my room? Also, by the way, if Wet Dreams isn't taken as a teenage band. What, what are you doing? You're missing out on everything because teenagers, wet dreams. Come on, connect the dots. So anyways, she sees like the makeup brushes in the passenger seat and sort of buys into the story. So she's like, is there any chance? I can guide you. I can guide you. Just let me in. I'm gonna be your guide. I'm gonna be your GPS. I will actually guide you to the castle. And Cassie's there like, no, you, you seem like a super fan, you seem like one of those people that is going to jump right on TikTok, right on live, right about now, to tell everybody, all of your followers, about this event. And she's like, no, I promise, take my phone, here, take my phone, I won't do anything, I just want to see them live. The two of them just drive off and the next scene we cut to is inside of another waiting room but it seems to be more official, more school-like. And the secretary says, Dean Walter will see you now. And Cassie walks into the room in front of this dean of the school and we realize she is there because apparently Cassie would like to resume her medical school. She would like to re-enroll. And the dean is saying, I mean, that is a great idea. People do drop out for all sorts of different reasons. So Cassie says, yes, I did leave under quite specific circumstances. I left because of what happened to Nina Walter. I don't remember last name. She says like the full last name. And you can see that the dean just doesn't, doesn't resonate with her. She's like, yeah, Nina, whatevs. It's like, do you remember her? It's like, I mean, we had plenty of students, you know, I can't really remember everybody's name. Well, I left because of what happened between Nina and Alexander Monroe. Oh my god, Alexander! Yeah, he actually returned to give a talk, like, the other day. You know, he's a famous anesthesiologist now, and famous anesthesiologists apparently give talks back at the med school. And she's like, okay, so you remember Alexander Monroe? You don't remember my friend Nina. So, you don't remember accusations made against him. We finally find out what happened, because Alexander Monroe took a girl, Nina, Cassie's friend, to his room where he ended up having sex with her repeatedly, rather sexually assaulting her because Nina was blackout drunk. He did it in front of his friends and the next day, covered in their handprints, Nina spoke to who else but Dean Walter. The dean says, I mean, there was no sufficient evidence. It was all just like he said, she said. I mean, what did you expect me to do, Cassie? Ruin a young man's career over the allegations of a woman that happened on the daily. Do you know how many of these allegations I get just simply on a weekly basis? It is innocent until proven guilty, but rest assured, I investigate every single one of these claims and I take them very seriously. Is your friend Nina okay? 
No, she's not. But you'll be happy to hear that Elle is doing great. He is thriving. And just like you said, you gotta give these boys the benefit of the doubt. So, I hope you don't mind, but a couple of hours ago, I picked your daughter up from school. Yeah, she just isn't the brightest. I promised to bring her to this bar where her favorite band will perform. But instead, funny how this happens, I dropped her into the same room where this incident happened. She's really pretty, isn't she? She even does look a bit older than she probably is. But not to worry. Those guys seem like they were so happy to see her. They had some bottles of vodka there. They seem like they will take really good care of your daughter. And this woman is like, <laughs> you're joking. Like, that didn't happen. So she grabs the phone to call her daughter and the phone rings in Cassie's bag. She's like, oh my god, it seems like she left this with me and she just puts it on the table. So Dean Walter is like, okay, this is not a joke. What room is she in? But I just said it. It's in the same room where Nina's assault had happened. Oh, from the look on your face, I see you might not remember the room. Well, that's a bummer, but I thought you do such thorough investigation. You must have it somewhere, you know, in your files. And then Walter says, you're right. Is that what you wanted to hear? Just tell me which room she's in. And after Cassie lets her sweat, she says, look how easy it was. I guess it is just different when it's someone you love. She isn't in a room with any boys. I drove her to this diner called the castle and, uh, well, your daughter is pretty. But she's kind of an idiot. So I would send somebody to pick her up because I don't think that she still realized that that band isn't actually showing up. And then she leaves that room like a bitch. But you can see in the next scene that it's really taking a toll on Cassie because it is her next to this one car on this highway. There's nobody else around. And she just seems to have snapped out of it. She just seems she's like daydreaming or thinking about something else. And this other driver is just like stepping on his horn. Like, move, why you dumb? Like, did you even get a driver's license? And she just gets out of her own car gets like a tire iron or whatever it is and goes and smashes his headlights and he drives away like Jesus she's gonna kill me so as she's like emotionally exhausted and goes home after meeting with Dean Walter and having probably the most eventful day anybody has ever had Ryan seems to meet her just like in front of her house and says, where were you? I thought we were meeting to go to see a movie. And she says, listen, I am exhausted. Like I was at work. He says, I was at the cafe. Like you weren't there. She says like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'll see you. I'll speak with you tomorrow. So we kind of see like that she's neglecting everything in her real life and that this kind of revenge plot is taking over a bit. A bit. That's an underestimation of the day. She's all about the revenge, Maya, because it's Scorpio season after all. But of course, does Cassie just go home, watch a movie with her parents, chill in her room? No, no, she doesn't. Did you know by this point what the pattern is? She goes out to meet yet another guy because revenge, revenge needs to happen. 
And as she's stumbling out of that club at this guy at her shoulder, like pretending she's wasted, blackout drunk, well, her boyfriend Bo had to make other plans. So he was supposed to meet for a drink in this club with somebody else, and he just seems to barge into them. And he is disappointed. Clearly, he's saying, like, I mean, if you didn't want anything to happen, you could have just let me know. This really was unnecessary for me to find out this way. And here is where she makes that switch from her drunk voice to the sober one. Like, it's not what it looks like, let's talk. But he just walks into the club and the other guy realizes, oh my god, you are that girl that the other guy, my friend Jerry or whatever, took home the other night. And she's like, yeah now completely angry that, you know, her cover has been blown. Yeah, you know what, Bill? Yes, I am. And there are other girls doing the exact same thing. And they're a lot crazier than me. Yeah, there are girls out there that actually bring scissors in their bag. Mm -hmm. You're gonna get scissored, motherfucker. You just keep doing this. So he goes off, she goes back home completely pissed, fuming. And in the next scene, we meet her again. You're like, okay, some revenge plot is about to happen because she is at the doorstep of a lawyer. So this guy lets her in and he seems like a complete creep. Now they're in the living room of this lawyer guy, Mr. Green, and Cassie's saying, you probably won't remember, this happened seven years ago. She's fed up by this point. She just wants her freaking revenge. It's like, there was an assault at the university, it was my best friend. And I mean, you seem to have had similar cases like this, where you help a young man, prospective young man, like Alexander Monroe, get off of these kind of charges, and you bully a victim into dropping them. But Mr. Green seems to have remembered. He responds, it was Nina, wasn't it? Are you here to hurt me? And she's like, mm, I really shouldn't really be confessing to this, but do you want me to? You caught me on a not-so-hinged day, and he's like, wow, hinged is not really a word. What do you mean? Do you mean you are unhinged? This conversation never happened. Anyways, she says, do you want me to? And he in turn tells her, I think so. It seems like I had an epiphany and then I went on a sabbatical, but other people called it a mental breakdown, but I just couldn't live with myself. Because myself and other lawyers like me used to get a bonus for every settlement that was settled out of court and for every charge dropped. He confesses that they even had a guy who used to come through the victim's socials, contact their old friends, their past sexual partners. And due to this happening on and on for years, it has taken a toll on the poor Mr. Green, who couldn't sleep and couldn't forgive himself. And then he approaches Cassie in the most creepy way. He's literally like crawling, trying to like hug her legs and be like, oh my god, please forgive me. And she's like, okay, I forgive you. Like, Jesus, you have had a mental breakdown. And you see her leave his house and speak to who we again assume is just another hitman. We don't know where she finds them. What money does she use to pay them? She doesn't really earn enough to move out of the flat, but sure. So he's like, should I go in now? And she says, no. So he's like, I'm still getting paid, right? Yeah, you're still getting your money made. We understand how hitmanship works. So next we see Cassie with who we assume is either Nina's sister or mom. 
And they are just having this conversation where Nina's mom asks her to move on for all of us. And Cassie seems to be bearing this guilt that she didn't go to the party with Nina that night. So we get a bit more of an insight about how this all came to be. And Nina's mom says, it's not your fault. Like, what happened to Nina just isn't your fault. You need to let go of it for all of us. Just forget about this and move on, because everybody else did. And wow, end of the movie, great. Well, you know it isn't, because this iconic look that I can't pull off didn't happen yet. The next scene, we see Cassie in her room, and she's checking Frender, and Elle Monroe posted about his bachelor party, the last night of being a free man. But it doesn't say the location, it just says it's the date. So, she logs off of Frender, deletes her account, and not just that, but she actually throws her notebook, you know, her little trophy of her night excursions into the bin. And it seems like she is finally deciding to leave this life behind. Because in the next scene, we see her in front of Bo Burnham's flat. And she walks in and the atmosphere is freezer cold. And Bo is like, do you want a coffee or another dude to walk home with? She's like, listen, I can't explain. Like, I can't actually explain to you what was going on from my head that night. And only that night, because other nights definitely didn't happen. But do you want to go have coffee with me sometimes, start from page zero? And he just doesn't respond. So she storms out, like, okay, I mean, I guess this has to end as well. But next, we see him walking into a closed cafe, because this bitch doesn't even lock the door after herself. Or my, it is fictional, that's why it has to happen like this in a movie. You have to just cope with certain situations. Be safe. If the door has a lock on it, the lock is on there for a reason. Okay, anyways. She's doing the end of the day report and he walks in and he asks her, do you want to go have lunch with me, you miserable asshole? And the two of them make out. It's the weirdest kiss. Nobody in this movie knows how to make out. Would you, would you do it better? No, that's why I'm not an actress. That's why I can't even do it. Halloween costume properly. That's why this is a joke. Anyways, for the next couple of minutes, we see the blissful relationship happen on screen. They're in a pharmacy dancing around to Paris Hilton's Stars Are Blind. I have never in my life until this very moment understood how how good Paris Hilton's music was. Like, this song was made for this movie. Nothing will ever convince me otherwise. I mean, all of the songs on the soundtrack were made for this movie, but this was like, whoa. But you know, because it happens for only a couple of minutes and it's not the end of the movie, that this shit, she's gonna go down. Something's gonna happen. It ain't gonna be good. For a couple of minutes there, they seem to have been dating. She's in his flat, they're confessing their love to each other. He even went to meet her family. He's there for a dinner, and after dinner, her and her dad have, like, a really weird conversation where he's like, thank you for introducing us to a guy, you 30-year-old, like, great. And her dad says to Cassie, 
Nina was like a daughter to us. We missed her because she was so close to you, but we also missed you. And she's like, oh, dad, that's so sweet. Yeah, I definitely left that life behind until the next scene. Because remember Madison? Oh, she's back. Yeah, because you see the voicemails? Yeah, Cassie never responded to those. <laughs> she let the bitch sweat because <laughs> revenge. She will have her revenge. But now Madison is just like in front of Cassie's house on her porch. And Cassie's like, oh, fuck me, I thought I left her behind. And she just immediately interrupts Madison, being like, nothing happened that night, Madison. Sorry, I didn't have any time. You know, such a busy lifestyle. <laughs> it's like, you will understand, you're a mother of two kids, you know, lead the same lifestyles, but I didn't have time to bring you back. But listen, that guy was a friend of mine. I literally just asked him to take care of you to make sure that you sleep the hangover off and that you are safe so that nobody does anything to you. And Madison is there like, oh my god, what a relief. I was so worried that, you know, something might have happened and I didn't really know how to act from then. But Cassie, can we speak somewhere in private? Can I actually go in? I need to show you something. It seems like since the two of them have met, Madison remembered that there was a tape. She got sent it after that night in med school and she kept the old phone where this tape was sent to. When she first got it, Madison thought it was a joke. I can't believe that we even laughed at it. I just thought it was gossip. She pulls the old phone out of her bag and hands it over to Cassie, but says... If I were you, I really wouldn't watch it. Just whatever you do, leave me out of it and never fucking contact me again. And she goes out and slams the door behind her. And we see Cassie just being pulled into it all over again. Because there is no chance in hell that she is not going to play that tape, to play that recording right then and there. And as she does, you don't see what's going on on the screen on the phone, but you hear the voices. You hear all of the men that were in the room egging him on, laughing about what is happening. You hear Nina screaming, and then you hear a familiar voice. The voice of Bo Burnham, who was there, just saying like, oh man, what is going on? Fucking hell. A friend of his seemed to be saying, you gotta check this out. And then you hear Bo Burnham's voice saying, oh man, this is fucked up. What am I, this is fucked up. But he just keeps on the standby, keeps watching, doesn't do anything, doesn't prevent it from happening. It was good while it lasted, I guess, because next, Cassie is at the clinic. And remember, he works as a pediatrician with little children, this fucking pervert. So she's there in the waiting room, pulling him into his office, like, oh my god, I'm gonna show you something. It's like, ooh, role play. Whoa, we're gonna dress up as a nurse next. He doesn't know that, but she will. She corners him and starts playing the tape, and she's like, what is that? I don't, I don't wanna watch that. It doesn't seem consensual. And then he hears his own voice and says, I really, I don't want to watch this. And Cassie's there like, well, you didn't mind watching it then. I guess it just didn't make an impact. This video that you are seeing right now is ready to be sent out to everybody and the police. Right now, Bo, unless you tell me the location 
of Elle Monroe's bachelor party. So he writes down the address and he's like, you gotta forgive me. I mean, things have changed. I work with kids now. I don't know how I can live with this threat hanging over my head. Oh, poor dear Ryan. And she says, no, I'm not about to forgive you. And I'm not about to alleviate you from whether or not I'm going to send this tape to the police. As she exits his office, she says, and don't warn anybody that I will be coming or I'm going to send this video out. He says, and then what? Then none of us will be doctors, just like you, you miserable failure. Go fuck yourself, Cassie. Men in this movie are actually crumbling. Like, there is not a single exemplar character. Because next is the most iconic thing. So I knew of this rendition of Toxic. But I never knew at what point it played in Promising Young Woman until I watched it. And when I watched it, I was like, this is some next level. So she's dressed like me, but, you know, better Hollywood production. Not the Amazon budget that I was on post this movie production. She's in a car and she drives into the middle of nowhere. Apparently this house is in some, like, isolated spot, but she parks up, like, in a really hidden spot and then takes her shoes off. So while the slowest and creepiest rendition of Toxic by Britney Spears is playing, she's walking up in these white leggings, through the freaking dirt towards the house. And there she puts, like, the shoes back on, and she knocks on there, dressed like a nurse, of course. One of the guys opens up the door and is like, oh my god, a stripper! Who invited a stripper? You'd think this would be super awkward, she wouldn't know how to behave, but the boys are buying into it. They're losing. They're like, nurse, we are sick. Who ordered her? No one's going up. And Al is there like, guys, my wife, if she finds out, she's gonna be pissed. And the nurse is just feeding into it, saying, kneel down in front of me like the naughty boys that you are. And she is feeding them alcohol as they are just kneeling in front of her. And as she's doing that, as she's literally pouring the booze into their mouths directly, we see the zoom in on the necklace that she had around her neck that said Nina on it. This is one of those heart necklaces that you would split in half and give to, like, your best friend, so we can only assume that Nina had the name Cassie written on hers. Once she pours these drinks down their throats, she sits on Elle Monroe, and everybody's like, oh my god, she's gonna give him a lap dance. But instead, she whispers into his ear that she needs to bring him to the room. Because if she doesn't, the boys won't pay her, so she only gets paid if she brings him upstairs. So the two of them walk upstairs and everybody's like, oh my god, losing their fucking minds. Like, the two of them are just going to have the wildest, dirty business up there. And now in the room, she handcuffs him to the bed with these pink fluffy handcuffs. He isn't sure about it, but she calms him down, saying, you know, I believe that you don't want anything to happen, but guys sometimes can't be trusted. They can get a bit handsy. And he keeps saying, I don't want to sound like a wuss, but you won't do anything, right? I love my fiancé. And Cassie's there like, do I look like someone who'd make you do something you don't want to do? Exactly. 
But then she opens up this little briefcase that she has and puts these latex gloves on. And nobody's thinking through, like, oh, why is this nurse that just chained me to this bed putting these gloves on? No. So he asks her, oh, what is your name? And she's like, Candy. No, but, like, your real name. Nina? Nina? Walter? Pretty sure that's not the name in the movie. But she gives him the full name, he's like, is this a joke? I knew of Anina Walter and you can't be her because she's dead. Oh, I mean, I guess you just knew of a different Nina Walter then because, you know, it's a common name and it is also my name. Anything all right, Elle? Do you feel comfortable? And you see him starting to twitch out of the handcuffs screaming, screaming out of his gut, like, get me out of here, get me out of here now. And she just turns to the door and says, they won't hear you. By this point, all of them are passed out and the music is super loud. I mean, nobody in the vicinity of about 20 miles can hear you, well. And even if it wasn't for the music, I mean, if I learned anything in med school, it is how easy it is to slip something into somebody's drink. Our boy Al here finally understands the level of threat and asks her, what do you want? Well, I want you to tell me the truth. I mean, we were kids. She was drunk. She was into it. Oh, she was into it. Well, it didn't look like it on a tape. Yeah, your buddy, your best man, your best mate here, Joe, he taped everything and I have a copy. And this is where he starts losing. He starts crying. He starts begging. She dropped out, Al, top of her class. I did too to take care of her. Alice crying on the bed, sobbing. I was affected by it too. It was my worst nightmare being accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is, Al? That line in itself holds power. It still brings chills down my spine. This is when I started crying and have not stopped by the end of this movie because this movie was heavy. It made you sit with it for about like hour and 45 minutes, but this line in itself holds next level power. Just, she owned this role. She owned this role. Carrie deserves the world, but she deserves an Oscar for sure. Al, I was so sad to drop out, but recently I was actually thinking of getting back into it. Here we see her open her medical kit and we see an array of tools. You're like, okay, she's about to torture the shit out of this man. Even when she was four years old, she was just completely herself, fully formed from day one. Didn't give a fuck about anybody else fought apart from me. She was just Nina. And then she wasn't. Suddenly she was something else. Yours. It wasn't her name she heard walking around. It was yours. You just squeezed her out. So when I heard your name, I wondered when was the last time anyone has said hers, or thought it even, apart from me. You should be the one with her name all over you. And she takes the scalpel and jumps right on him. And as she is about to, well, carve Nina's name all over Al, we presume, he manages to snap his hand out of one of the handcuffs. And he immediately fights the scalpel out of her hand. He is taller, heavier 
then Cassie and overpowers her and just takes the pillow, puts it over her head in order to stop her from screaming. But eventually you see where this is going because he's just doing too much of the overpowering, okay? Even just holding that pillow over her head for a brief second would have done the trick. Like he puts his whole body, puts his whole weight on top of this pillow until she dies. We meet our boy Al. He had a rough night. Oh yeah, he just killed the supposed stripper, Nina's best friend, after clearly having multiple opportunities not to do that. He's still handcuffed by one arm to that bed, and his best man, Joe, walks into the room. And Joe is played by Schmidt from New Girl, which... <laughs> In terms of casting, there were two fails in this movie, and this was one of them, because I can only associate this guy with one role, okay? Sheldon, Jim Parsons, I can only see him as Sheldon. I can't see him as anything else. It just, it's a legendary role, and there are the consequences of it, okay? So he walks in, he's like, chop, chop, your wedding is in about two hours. Oh my god, is that a stripper? You, you slept with a stripper? Don't worry, don't worry, mate. I will not tell your wife anything. Like, you know, you can confide in me like this. No, Joe, she's dead. I killed her. Oh, you killed her. Yeah, yeah, right. You killed that pussy. Why? Joe? Joe, she's actually dead. <laughs> You're messing with me, right? And he pulls the pillow up and he's like, okay, she's actually dead. Okay, so listen, listen to me. I'll is there like, I'm gonna go to jail. I'm gonna get a life sentence. No, you're not. No, you're not. We've been here before, right? We've been there for each other. You're not gonna go to jail before everybody else wakes up. We are gonna go out and we are gonna dispose of her body. And you see the two of them, the best friends, the bodies in crime, burning Cassie's body. But these two morons don't realize or don't care because, I don't know, they, they think, like, the metal will burn as well eventually. So the necklace, the half of the heart that she was wearing with Nina's name around her head, and just as the fire goes down on that spot where they burned her body, you still see the half heart of that necklace with Nina's name on it. Next, we meet the police officers who go to visit her family, her parents, and the parents are saying, I mean, she was kind of suffering with some mental health issues after her friend died, that's why she moved back in and dropped out of med school. You know, she might have just decided to take a break and run away, and the police are like, okay, cool, that makes complete sense, but, you know, just, like, we'll keep tabs on it, we'll keep it open. Did she, by any chance, have a boyfriend? They're like, yeah, Bo Burnham over there in his pediatrician office. Yeah, just go speak to him. So they do knock-knock on Bo Burnham's office, and he is breaking it. He is shitting it. He's like, oh my god, she sent a video, she sent a video. And they ask him about the relationship, and did they maybe break up? And he's like, yeah, we did, actually, the first day. So when did she go missing? Friday. Interesting. I don't know anything about it. So her parents did say she did have some mental health issues. That's it. That's Cassie. Oh, yeah, Cassie with the mental health issues. Do you think she might have wanted to hurt herself? That's it, Cassie. Yeah, that definitely. Yeah, that definitely sounds like somebody that I have dated up until a couple of days ago. That's fine, Dr. Bo Burnham. You just come to the office. 
the next day to make a statement. It's like, cool, sure, of course, have a wedding to attend to, but I'll make sure that happens. And then we meet them all at the wedding. Al is there, his best man is there, checking out all of the bridesmaids, everybody. Such a sleazebag environment. And of course, Bo Burnham is there as well. What I didn't expect from this wedding, well, first of all, to see Schmidt from New Girl speak and give, like, the best man speech, because that was awkward as shit. But also for it to be, like, almost a hippie wedding, I was expecting one of those polished, like, Instagram-ready ones. Not like, you know quite casual, just like outdoorsy wedding, but hey, this is what we are in for. As Schmidt from New Girl is chatting up all the bridesmaids, Bo Burnham gets a text message, a scheduled message from Cassie. You didn't think this was the end, did you? As he gets that scheduled message, the lawyer, Mr. Green, gets a package delivered in post, and it is that tape. She couldn't have even trusted her parents to leave them this tape. So, the note in the lawyer's package says to bring this tape to the police. You hear sirens in the distance, and you see Laverne Cox opening an envelope, her manager, in the cafe, and she finds the second half of that heart, the heart necklace, with Cassie's name on it. As she's handling that necklace in her hands, we see the zoom-in on the other part of the necklace, because the police and the sniffer dogs have just found the remains of Cassie's body. Another scheduled text to Bo says it is now, and we see the best man Joe, the Schmidt from New Girl, started running, taking off while they arrest Al and take him away. And they don't arrest Paul Burnham. Funny, so he doesn't get arrested, but he gets one more text. Enjoy the wedding. Love, Cassie and Nina. Winky face, winky emoji. And that is the end. That is the end of the movie. I'm so sorry that I eventually do need to take this costume and this wig off. I know. What were your thoughts on this one? Have you watched it? I mean, probably you have because millions of people have watched this movie, right? If you haven't, iconic. Would definitely recommend. It really makes you sit in it. Like, it just doesn't allow you to, like, have a breath of fresh air where you're like, wow, this character is, like, wholesome. No. It's just like, yep, makes you sit in it. And truly, it made me question, like, why did I approve of her actions, you know? Is this a red flag? You know, the fact that I was pro this revenge, like, it possesses you. I wouldn't recommend you doing this. I wouldn't do this in real life myself. But at the same time, you're like, I mean, all of them deserve it. How else would she put these people behind bars? How else? How the fuck else? Maybe I'm not thinking rationally right now. I'm high on caffeine and... <laughs> Also have a migraine due to this wig that doesn't even sit on my head well. So, I want to know your thoughts. How else would she have done it? You know, if you are a lawyer out there, if you are a legal expert, you tell me. Maybe she could have just handed it over to the lawyer without going in. Oh, oh yeah. She didn't really have to go in. <laughs> okay, cool. But then, but then the costume, the fashion department on the movie... They, they had a costume already. It had to happen. It was probably scripted before the costume department jumped in on it. I don't understand production. I'm gonna leave right now because I'm gonna celebrate my fucking birthday, okay? <laughs> Listen. I'm 
not 30 yet, but I wish, I wish it was. I like the odd number, so I'm fine being 29. And you, in your comments, let me know what you think about this one. <sighs> that's it, that, that's a wrap, that's a wrap on this nurse one, that, that's a wrap, wow. You see, I look a lot better with all this. Jesus, it is like taking a load off of your head. I'm gonna go out now. And I shall be seeing you shortly, like next week, I think, right? Right? If I, you know, survive to leave another day. Soundtrack. Soundtrack. It's Raining Man. Soundtrack to that movie downloaded. Spotify right now. You will not regret it. Paris Hilton song. I have listened to that thing on repeat. I have questioned myself. I'm not even questioning myself. That song is life. Paris Hilton should go back to making music. That is my hot take today. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what is this? Oh. <laughs> it's supposed to hold that hair inside. Okay, it's like a freaking condom. Get the fuck out of here. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Whoa! Need a painkiller, man.